welcome to Of Dust and Divinity, an ongoing conversation with makers, thinkers, and doers, where we ask big questions of the small things. It's the people who, in my mind, whether rightly or wrongly, I see they're, they're older, and therefore I see them as being wiser. And then I, I see what I see, and there's this huge disappointment and, and I would say disillusion to what's going on. Like, wow, I, I, I really saw you as different, and, and I thought you would be, and again, this is my own thing probably, but, but better than this. And you're not. And so there's, there's this kind of like this deep disappointment there. I am so excited about today's episode, and I can't wait for you to meet our guests. They are fantastic, and the conversation only gets better. Hi, my name is Tamira. I'm a PR communications professional, currently working from home in Portland, Oregon, alongside my two beautiful children. I love my kids. I love my kids. I love my kids. Um, I spent a number of years growing up in East Africa, but I am an Oregon girl with degrees now from Portland State University and the University of Oregon. I am not religious, but I do believe in love, and I also respect people from all walks of faith. And if I could clone myself because you asked, I said I'd probably be a geneticist, but um, that if someone else cloned me, I would probably be a travel writer because that, I mean, come on. That sounds amazing. Probably not right now, but yeah, that's just a little snapshot of me. Well, hi, my name is Chris. I am a native California kid, a self-declared homebody, kind of a latchkey kid, if you will. Uh, Quarantine for a couple of months. Yes, please. I've got a lot to do around the house. So super blessed to call myself the husband of Emily and the dad of Jordan and James, my two boys. Uh, My formal education took me down the path of a Bachelor of Arts in Communication Studies with an emphasis in digital media. Um, I've had the fortune to actually do a lot with my degree uh, and not just have that be like, ah, it's something I kind of did. My professions and interests span across church ministry, on-air radio voiceover talent, financial technology, public speaking, and really, and I mean really, great views of the ocean. And a lot of that is Northern California, but Oregon has some beautiful coasts as well, Tamira, that I have seen, and it is gorgeous. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm your host, Caben Kramer. I'm a fourth-generation California farmer, farming walnuts on fertile concow land along the edge of the Feather River. I'm a husband and a father to two awesome kids. I identify as a white male, and I'm loving my 30s. Formally, I'm educated as an engineer, although I've never actually practiced engineering as a profession. It was just one of those things that I just kind of did. I identify as a follower of Jesus and find the teachings and lifestyle of Jesus attractive. If I could clone myself and do two occupations, my clone would probably be a cultural anthropologist. Of Dust and Divinity is an ongoing conversation carrying over from one episode to the next. Like if the podcast itself were a table in the back corner of your local pub, and each round of guests are like friends gathered at the table in free-flowing conversation. And 
if those friends were left a slip of paper from their previous loafers at the table by which to begin their chat. So here's the note left on that proverbial table by our previous guests, and it serves as the jumping off point for this episode. Given what is going on in our country at this time, going off the analogy you mentioned of the uh, brain sort of no longer recognizing the eye because there's just too much data being forced at it. So eventually the brain just sort of comes to ignore the signals from the eye. And to overcome that, you have to some way force the brain to reckon with the data so that it starts to recognize it. And I feel like that's what we see right now with the protests going on for Black Lives Matter and for just the systemic racism that has been part of the United States history. And protest is a way of forcing the United States as a system to reckon with this data. The data is the long history of injustice. I'm curious to hear from you where you're sitting with the national conversation about racial justice and the movement towards becoming anti-racist as a people. Um, To me, it starts with listening. Um, There was, I would say, an ignorance in my mind that, you know, I live and live in a state where you know, almost you could say like, this is, this is a regional thing. Like not where I live. Like I live in a blue state and we're past all that and we're enlightened. And that is so not the truth. Um, and when you start to listen and you start to see, um, for the mere fact that I have not had to think about these things and, you know, if I get, I've gotten pulled over a couple of times in my life and my, you know, heart beats a little bit faster, but my main concern is, oh, geez, how much is this going to cost me? And that's dollars, not this could potentially cost me my life. And the fact that I've never had to think about that or consider that, I mean, that's, you come to face with like, oh, that that's white privilege. Okay. Like, I can't say that I'm free of just never having to deal with white privilege. So it's, it's coming to a realization of that. Um, as a middle-aged white male, I'm, I'm very quick to, and early on, I'm very quick to say like, I have nothing that I should be adding here. Like my job is to listen and to learn and to seek first to understand. But the amount of things that we can do to educate ourselves and to kind of learn from other voices and hear other perspectives of what's going on and why it's going on and the history that's built up to these moments of tension. And is this going to actually stick this time? And this, there's this, you know, access to information. And so for me personally, it's just like trying to listen, I'm trying to seek to understand and then find out what my what my part in that is. And, you know, just for our family too, it's my wife, you know, the co-founder of her learning community, um, you know, she's white and, and, and her boys are, um, you know, part black, their, their father is black. Um, so we just learn, you know, conversations that this, you know, white mother has to have with her sons that, our sons are equal age that I don't think that I have to tell my sons not to wear a hoodie in a store. And my son really likes to wear a hoodie, but those conversations never crossed my mind to have, but yet this mother worries about her sons constantly. 
And so just having that awareness and having people like that in your lives really helps shine a light on what's going on. And I think in that moment, you develop a lot of empathy, which I think is is maybe a, a first step. Chris, do you know what I think you bring to this conversation? What? I think you bring the conversation, the value of hearing a middle-aged a middle-aged white man wrestle through what it looks like in real life. Um, you're right. I don't need to hear from you about the systemic problems our society is facing, but I'm so curious to hear from you how you're metabolizing those things, how you're integrating those things, how you're letting them change your thoughts and behaviors and mode of being in the world. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, and, it, and it has to be a, a, a very conscious decision. Uh, and, it, and it feels like, for me, like, why am I not doing more? But like the act of listening and the act of holding space to hear other voices that aren't your own. Um, I don't consider myself like activisty in that I'm going to be down on the street corner and I'm going to be holding up signs and I'm going to be marching. And, you know, if, if the opportunity presents itself and that's, that is going to work out for our family, that's fine. But, but there are things that I'm going to do to where I need to realize where at first, where I'm at and wrestle with that, that I have to wrestle with and understand that it is scary to put yourself out there. Um, but it's not, half as scary as, as other people are putting themselves out there, people of, of different national origin and color. And, and so it really is wrestling with that. And, and I'll admit there's there, there's that white guilt in there of like, why didn't I see this earlier? Why didn't I understand this? Why haven't I done something about that? So yeah, that that's present. Um, but it's also saying, okay, now what, you know, Kevin, you and I had a conversation and, and we were talking with some other, another group and, and, and I really liked your questions like, okay, what do we do now? Like we, we have this information. We, 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 we kind of hear this now. What do we do now? Um, and so that's, I'm still in the midst of wrestling with that. What's my next move? I, I, I get it. I can, I can vote and I can, you know, November's coming up and <laughs> Lord help us all. But like, that's, that's one way that I can, I can show that. Um, but what else can I do? And what else can I, what's really been resonating with me lately is I've got two boys. I have two boys who maybe understand this better than I do because their closest friends who they've, you know, essentially grown up with are, are, are half black. It's, it's more personal when, when you know a person, when you have that relationship. And so why are, why are people fighting? Why, why is this, why is all of this happening when, well, I know these people, I, I know these are my friends. Why is there this division? What's the big deal? These, these are just people just like you and my, you and me. And that's why I'm, I'm, I, I want to impress upon like, please don't lose that. Um, and a thought that I had the other day is like, I need, I'm, I'm pretty, um, I, I look at my own surroundings and, and who I associate with and it is, is predominantly white, right? And so how how am I building bridges? 
um, how, how am I reaching out to have conversations and to get to know people of di different color and ethnicity and national origin? Um, you know, the refugee, the, the indigenous, uh, you know, folks that are, that are in my own community that I don't know. And I'm not saying that, oh, I have to go out and meet all of these people, but um, what am I doing to start moving that conversation for myself so that I can call people friend i can have that personal relationship where it hasn't existed before again to then build understanding and empathy um in those in those relationships you know you mentioned chris you mentioned wrestling and uh i mean this is something that i'm doing too is like you know i i think we're all on our own learning journey but uh when, when this topic and this issue is brought again to the forefront, because of course this is not the first time, but when we have the time and space and also just like, you know, let's be honest, like real intense social pressure to confront this head on right now um there is that you know that instant defensiveness of like you know this must be talking about everyone else except for me <laughs> um and then of course taking the time to wrestle with that and like okay um how does how does this show up in my life how do I take this conversation from, you know, what it means to be, quote unquote, a racist, taking it from there to what does it mean to be part of a racist system that benefits me? And, um, and really, you know, doing the work of examining that in myself and in everything from how I was brought up to uh, who I hung around to what I surround myself with um, today, whether that's media or, you know, um, what I'm reading, what I'm seeing, what I'm talking about, what's funny to me, what's, you know, uh, what's inspiring to me and, um, you know, and then obviously like a lot of what I'm looking at on social media is less, you know, travel inspiration photos, which is usually what my Instagram was, um, to more like really deep, um, probing, questions and um and a calling really to like dig deep emotionally and for me and I think for a lot of people it's been really um exhausting and I don't think that's a bad thing I mean I think that comes with doing the work emotionally and um 
and just like really confronting a lot of things and um I also need to I think recognize and this is this is also you know spoken by a lot of the activists you know for example that I'll follow on social media or whatever that it is important to pace yourself and to recognize that um it's you know it's not going to be of any use to anyone if you just burn out you know and that this becomes sort of this like really overwhelming tide and then you know uh you're so overwhelmed that you just step back and i've seen that in people around me and in certain ways um i think that there is this um it's a really scary thing i would say to put yourself out there and um especially on social media because let's be honest even in the best of times it's it can be a really really horrible place 100% agree. 100% <laughs> it can be a horrible place um but uh at least in the spaces where people are genuinely interested in furthering the conversation and in supporting growth and supporting a continued learning journey and then focusing on action that can be taken and real actual meaningful change those spaces um can be i mean real game changers for lack of a better word in this moment but um those are the uh, those are the spaces that i seek out right now besides you know just my own reflections like you know reading through the books that i see everyone else reading which normally i wouldn't want to be the person reading the books that everyone else is reading in the same way that i don't want to order the same thing everyone else is ordering at the table but from a communications perspective there is serious value in all of us um having some of the same words to describe what we're seeing what we're going through what we're discovering um a framework with which to discuss our life experiences and differences and um journey so so catching up to some of those um catching up on those readings and making sure that um we have sort of a foundation of understanding about really what racism is and means so that we can get past the whole like no i'm not saying that you're a terrible person i'm saying that you know you are part of a system and and in many ways um you don't realize it or if you do you've been trained to be quiet about it um and i'm included in that you so i should be saying we i think there i think society is going through a lot right now on this journey and part of it is hopefully normalizing 
um, the ability to change your stance, to learn something and adjust what you said, and that it not be so terrifying to think out loud, um, especially for people who process that way. And I'm not necessarily talking about like tweeting every thought that you have, <laughs> but I hear it's um, a fantastic form of government, just the absolute best way to lead a country. Oh, Wait, what? No, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, and that's a, that's a good connection you made there, Kevin. And I wasn't even specifically thinking about that, but, um, just the idea that, like, it's it's like everyone sort of expects everything to come out of our mouths or or that has been created as a, crafted as a tweet or, or Instagram post or whatever it is that you're on, um, to be this, like, perfectly thought out idea. Um, and it's just not gonna be. And, um... I don't know. I just, I, sometimes I just wonder, um, like, where is the empathy? Where is the grace? If it's, if it's in good faith, like, I'm not talking about, like, outright racism. I'm talking about people who are trying their best to work through this and they're open to change and they're listening and they're trying. Um, that's one thing that I worry about sometimes that those people will be left out of the conversation because, um, because they are too afraid to speak because, you know, they'll feel like it's written in stone forever and that's not what they necessarily meant. I feel like I'm getting really specific right now. <laughs> um, but I think there does need to be that safe space and, and that, you know, maybe we need to create those safe spaces. Well, and I'll say too, uh, maybe looking at that because it can be such an echo chamber and I'm specifically referring to social media, but one of the things that I've noticed, and I think maybe glass half full when looking at this is the platform that it's given voices to, to rise above the noise, if you will, um, to, to where I know from my personal journey, like listening to, um, African-Americans speak. And I, I had a, a, an, a literal, you know, stop me in my tracks moment. I was listening to an interview with a, an African-American uh, pastor the other day. And history was my best subject in school. I loved it just because it was, I had a, I had a very good history teacher in high school and it was like one big story and American history was my favorite. And these, all these great stories and all these warm, fuzzy feelings. And listening to this interview, this, this pastor said, you know, American history, you know, like, like white people get a lot of the warm, fuzzy feelings when they think of the founding fathers and they think of the freedoms, you know, with this country, that's not our history. We, we don't have those warm, fuzzy feelings, right? Like being counted as three-fifths of, of a person, that, that's, that's not a super warm and fuzzy feeling. So we, we don't have that history like white people have. And I just like legit stopped in my tracks. I went, ah, oh, right. Okay, fair enough. So again, starting to understand and listen to and, and develop that, that empathy and that understanding to where I'm going to move it in this conversation. Uh, Kevin, you pull me back if we need to, but I look at this tearing down these statues 
and probably earlier in my life would have been like, oh, that's terrible. This this is terrible. And this is history. And how can they deface it? And I look at it now. I'm like, yeah, I see that. I, I see that there's these monuments to a system and a time that was not, you know, super happy and warm and fuzzy feelings for a, a major part of this population. There was wealth generated that's still being passed on today that was earned off of, you know, the backs and labor of folks who are not benefiting from that to this day. And so people get all bent out of shape and, and kind of the other ugly side of social media. I've, I find myself using the unfollow button <laughs> a lot lately just because I can't take it anymore. And ironically, it's a lot of it is people that I I've gone to church with church with in the past who are making these stances and these declarations that I'm like, dude, I, I can't get behind that. And I'm, I'm pretty shocked that with what you claim to believe that you're actually able to make those statements and and stand behind them, behind them and and even back them up. And so for me, it's just really, okay, I, I, I'm really loving the platform that it's giving. And it's also making me think like, yeah, I don't, man, I might've had a problem with that in the past, but yeah, I, I kind of see why. Chris, can I ask you a question? We talk about echo chambers um, which are, you know, sort of these closed loop social media spaces we get ourselves into where, um, only people that we agree with are around us and sort of, we're, we're all kind of saying the same thing and supporting each other and what we're saying. So, and I'm not saying, uh, I'm just, I'm really asking a question because I'm curious about it. When you choose to unfollow those people, Mm-hmm. that you disagree with or that you used to go to church with and that are now like spewing whatever it is that's making you just like probably viscerally just want to click that button. Um, what do you, what message are you, is it, is it the unfollow? Is it like that they're losing you? Is it that you are, are, are no longer needing to see that message in front of you? Is it, is there a, a public statement that you're making by doing that? Like, what does it mean to you when you click to unfollow? That's a, that's a great question. Um, I, I won't say that I do that to everybody because there are some that I'm just, I want to see like, part of it's just, I think a morbid curiosity of like how far down the rabbit hole <laughs> can we go? And I will say, you know, folks on the other side too, I, you know, I have, I think like most of us do, we have people on, on the far extremes, but um, I, I lose when it becomes just, a very narrow, one-sided, can't um, focus on any, any other opinion or accept any other train of thought. Um, and t- to me, kind of the breaking point is the the dehumanization of people. Uh, I think for me, that's that's the big breaking point. Where it's like we can have a rational conversation and we can we can agree to disagree or we can have different viewpoints and that's fine but when when there's a dehumanization of of a person and and you're not even open to considering that um i i, I consider myself i've taken you know think of call it enneagram or you know personality tests or whatever you know version you take um i've i've 
learned that I'm I'm a very much a relater, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna tr- do my best to relate. And I kind of I'm like, can't we all just get along? Like, don't want to see conflict and stuff like that, which is why I won't engage so much uh, in that space so much as kind of be more of a fly on the wall. But I I think it's to the point where I see that somebody's mind isn't changing or they're not open to having that dialogue and they're really in what they're saying and what they're doing they're intentionally dehumanizing people and 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 not giving them value and not giving them worth and i'm just part of me is just like i i don't i see it and i see the value of of doing that and and there are people that i keep but i don't need a ton of that And, and and i don't respect it frankly um and I, I need to – part of it is, is you, you don't want the toxins to kind of leak on you, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, so not saying I'm shutting all of that out, but I am choosing to shut some of it out. Yeah, I hear that. I mean, I, I'm asking because it's something that goes through my mind pretty often where I'm just like um, – and this is this is something that does definitely like affect the way I feel about social media uh, because I most of the time choose not to unfollow. Usually I'll unfollow because I'm just bored. Like they're just not putting anything <laughs> that I'm interested in out there at all. Um, but when somebody says something that's just like, I mean, I mean, it's like, there's a lot of stuff that I just, is just absurd and, or, uh, just pure vitriol. And it's, it's just, it's so nasty. And I, to be honest, I'll feel, and you mentioned like, how far can I go down this rabbit hole? It's, I feel to me like when I click on my Facebook app or my Twitter app, um, I will, it's like I'm hopping in for a little bit, especially Facebook. I don't know if you guys feel the same way about this. And maybe it's because I have maybe people from much, much further back or or something. I'm not sure, but it's, I feel like I can only handle so long. Like I hop in, I see a lot of stuff. Some of it I agree with, a lot of it I don't. And then, and I, like you, Chris, I'm more of a fly on the wall in that because I don't think that they're actually looking for any kind of meaningful engagement or conversation. So I'm more like, I'm almost like keeping tabs on a different point of view. And I often, and they tell us not to, (laughs) they, I don't know who they is, but not (laughs) to go in the comment section. I mean, I, I go straight in. Like if I see something outrageous, the first place I'm going to look, Oh, I grabbed the is, popcorn. Right? Well, I and fooled. also just like I'm so curious. Like, right. what are people saying? Are they agreeing or are they disagreeing? And if they're disagreeing, how are they doing that? And how is that going for them? Not like are they, you know, how is it going for them personally? Are they losing their reputation or something? Not that, but more like does this, like as that thread continues and you're like clicking to show more, show more, show more, and it goes into this longer conversation, does that go anywhere meaningful is it worth engaging or is it more something that would be worth like if I cared or could connect with that person, maybe I would talk to them separately in like a private message or something like that. 
it's almost its own little storyline too where if there's the dissenter in there and you're kind of rooting for the underdog like no come on really get your point you know Mm. yeah and also just and and i think from a comms perspective communications perspective like um how you know i've seen people do a really good job of articulating Mm. their Mm. point of view and seeing their reaction to it and and how that turns out and then i've seen people who are you know it's almost like a game for them i feel like or like they've got something like a copy paste situation going on you know where like they their little flag went up for somebody posting something that they patently disagree with and then and then it just goes into this whole thing that doesn't feel like any needle is moving in any direction I fully recognize that I'm I'm not a great debater. I took debate class and and, and maybe that's because I, hey, can't we all just get along type feeling, right? Like I, I know that's not my strength. So I know I'm not going to like probably win anybody over <laughs> in that particular space. Um, but it is, it is interesting to see for sure, uh, especially as a, a fly on the wall to try and see how people form their arguments. And, and that's really where I kind of hit that like, man, this person isn't even open. It's the people who, in my mind, whether rightly or wrongly, I see they're, they're older and therefore I see them as being wiser. And then I, I see what I see and there's this huge disappointment and, and I would say disillusion to what's going on. Like, wow, I, I, I really saw you as different and, and I thought you would be and again, this is my own thing probably, but, but better than this and you're not. And so there's, there's this kind of like this deep disappointment there. Yeah. Chris, both my wife and I have had a few moments where we've had to pause on the couch in the evening and just lament that people who we love and respect are making choices that are unconsciousable to us in their treatment of the fellow human beings. One of the choices that I've made during this time as I increase the number of people of color who I listen to uh, in podcasts and books and social media platforms, I've also made a conscious choice to keep my bubble from getting too locked down in that I will consistently interact with people who I know disagree with me. And I don't always mean I'll contend with them. I mean, I interact with them enough to keep the algorithm showing me their content. And I try to always watch the crazy video and I try to always read the outlandish, um, you know, blog post to the point where in other apps I've started to get some like ultra white right wing ads <laughs> because yeah, they're I was like, gonna say, I'm usually like, I will look at whatever website I can tell it's going to take me to. And I have to make a conscious decision of whether I really want to go there or not. Yeah. And, and I'm a bald white man. Like, so <laughs> the algorithm has <laughs> a pretty good bias to pick me for being someone who'd be interested, but like, I'm not, I'm like the opposite of interested. It's like painful to read like, mm-hmm. oh, I, and, and like you expressed to me, like 
it is work. I have to like consciously choose like, okay, I'm going to go onto Facebook. I'm going to read three posts of like that are just crazy cycle pants. And then I'm going to take myself some time to detox. And then I'm going to decide if I have enough emotional space to engage that person on Facebook in a comment. Right. So like my comments aren't reactionary, even though I have a lot of reactive emotions reading some of the crazy vitriol that's out there. For me and my own journey, I remember how many people had to have patient conversations with me for so many years, right? Because I went to school overseas. I went to school in Kenya. I have friends who live all over the world. Surely I couldn't have a racist bone in my body, right? And so I was just resistant, resistant, resistant until I came to see, oh my gosh, like I am the epitome of white privilege. Like everything about my life screams white privilege. And I had to like come to see that slowly. And it took a lot of really patient people. And so part of my choice has just been to be, to try to be that for just one other person. Maybe like, can I just be that? Because I, I am still inside the tribe, right? I am still inside the white male tribe, which means I have some responsibility to it to be a voice that points to a world that's outside of the tribe and say, this is valid too. This world that exists outside your boundaries of second amendment rights and private property, like has value and it's meaningful and it's real and it's worth listening to. And maybe if it comes from me in a patient enough way over enough amount of time, People will see that it's not me just being a social justice warrior or some other thing they might try to throw at me. And they'll say it's not just because I hate white people or I hate police officers, but actually that it's because I'm living, choosing to live inside the tribe and choosing to be a voice that points to something outside the tribe, which is a really difficult space to occupy that I don't do very well most of the time. Well, and I think too, Cabin, that there's, I really appreciate you said that, you know, there's people who have been patient with you and, and to recognize that pouring into your life because we can so often forget about it and make it all about us. Uh, but there is, there's also a cost that comes with that, which I, I think can paralyze people sometimes. And I know it does to me. And, and I'm realizing now as I'm kind of reflecting here and, and thinking about this, because you're right, kind of the white male tribe. Like I, I am that. <laughs> Can't change that. Um, but what can I do into that? And and I, my life has has and kind of responsibility and and leadership, if you will, has placed me in a position where um, I've been able to hold space for a group of people where we can have these conversations. We can invite voices that are not our own to speak into us you know, personally, kind of a bunch of white folk, if you will. And there's, I'm finding that there's a cost to that, to people who I thought were really on board with that and who were aligned and, and like-minded um, over the space of just a few conversations seem to be distancing and pulling away from that. Now, I'm not saying that that they're not for what's going on and that they're not for you know, black lives and black lives matters. But the fact that we're having this conversation in this space doesn't seem appropriate. And, and it, 
I'm, I'm struggling with all the feels right now because I'm right in the middle of that. If I'm kind of being transparent and raw about it, I'm, I'm trying to navigate this and I'm really struggling. Like if we can't spend three conversations talking about this in a space where we, sh- we really should be talking about this, what are we doing? And, and why, why is that such a, a, a trigger? Um, so I'm, I'm kind of having a hard time on that space of just like, man, I'm trying to do the work here. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to hold space and do what I can uh, to do this. And like, really, really, we can't have that conversation. Really? It's tough. I feel this way about family to a certain extent. Um, and in my case, it's a little bit different in that, um, and that my sister is adopted from Ethiopia and my brother is half Eritrean, half Chinese, and both of them mean, you know, the world to me. And a lot of this wrestling has been coming to terms with the fact that uh are lot like we are raised by the same people and that our lives are um like have had like many of the same inputs in a lot of ways and yet we both uh have experienced it so differently from each other because of the society and structures around us and uh these conversations are uncomfortable and um not specifically with my brother and sister who i especially my sister who i'm very close with and us just like sitting out on the porch and talking about sort of what's going on right now and how we're feeling and talking about everything from you know, race to, you know, recipes we're trying right now and that kind of thing. And like, um, I just, but when I think about more extended family or other family members and feeling like it's just such a, an uncomfortable conversation to have. And yet hopefully we're all learning that we need to be able to have these uncomfortable conversations and Chris I have so much empathy for your experience of of really being disappointed in people who are making that um you know sort of tough to continue on in that relationship in that way like just not you know not making it a safe space to have that conversation and and not just that, but just like not allowing it to be part of, of the thread of your conversations and like, you know, of your journey and changing, um, perspectives on the world and things like that. And I think the big thing I'm taking away is the need to push through uncomfortable. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining in this ongoing conversation as we seek to unearth meaning in the everyday stuff of life. For show notes or to connect with this community of seekers, 
visit us online at www.ofdustanddivinity.com. Join our Facebook group, which is called Of Dust and Divinity Podcast Community, and engage us on Instagram at Of Dust and Divinity, all one word. Hey, and if this conversation was meaningful to you like it was meaningful to me, leave a rating and a review on your favorite streaming platform so that more people just like us can discover this podcast and join the conversation themselves. Stick around for the second half of this conversation with Chris and Tamira as we continue to unpack racism and our own whiteness and even what it means to be progressive in America today. Here's a sneak peek. I am surrounded by mostly, like the white people in my life are white progressives. Having a conversation about racism being something that we are a part of is uncomfortable because there is that immediate defensiveness if it if it turns from like yes of course this is like a an issue but like I know that already and I've gotten to the point where I went to a protest kind of thing you know what I mean like when you when we're getting deeper into like our own personal experiences and our own lives right now what is it that we are doing meaningfully A huge thank you to my wife for supporting this passion project and a great big thank you to Michelle Lim of Clementine Brands for all the brand content, including the name of this podcast and the cover art. As you go through your day, remember these words of Rainer Maria Rilke. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Do not seek the answers which cannot be given to you for you would not be able to live them. And the point is, to live everything. Live the questions now.